It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Hundreds of talented athletes have donned the green and gold in their 50-year history. When the fans voted for an all-time best, only 50 would make the prestigious list. Well, now, as the summer winds down, we have reached the top 10. And it begins with third baseman Eric Chavez. Few players in Oakland history have provided the fans with power and defense quite like Chavez. A first-round pick from a San Diego High School in 1998, Chavi reached the majors two seasons later as a 20-year-old. And those 16 games set the foundation for what was to become defensive excellence. When the A's returned to the postseason in 2000, Chavez hit 26 home runs, beginning a string of six consecutive seasons of 25 or more home runs. But the following year, Chavez took command of third base with the first of six gold gloves. A swing and a looping foul to the left. Chavez coming over hard near the dugout slides and can't quite get. Yes, he did. He got it just before he tumbled into the dugout. A sensational play on a slide of the warning track by Chavez. Eric knew his gold glove hardware didn't come without hard work and support from two Rons, the late Ron Plaza and Ron Washington. The reason why I gave Ron that glove was, yeah, he, he helped me, but he also helped a lot of other people. And in spring training, he was always 6 o'clock, sitting out there on the backfields, waiting for anybody who wanted to come by and get extra work. He helped me tremendously. Chavi's six gold gloves were the most of any infielder in the first decade of the 21st century. Only outfielders Ichiro and Torrey Hunter had more. Four times, Chavi knocked in over 100 runs. One special moment came against the Baltimore Orioles on June 1st, 2000, accomplishing something not seen in Oakland. The A's only have two cycles in their history, Mike Flowers and Tony Phillips. This one to center. Eric Chavez has cycled. It's a home run. He's done it. The first one ever here in Oakland. Five times, Chavez went to the postseason with the A's, but never reached the World Series. But he reflects on how tough the challenge was to advance. Of the teams that we had here, it's kind of, we felt like at least one or two of those years, we were a World Series team. Between the lines, we knew how to play the game, and it was really good baseball being played. His last postseason in Oakland was 2006, and they faced Minnesota in the ALDS. Already up two games to none, Chavez did have a moment in the clincher that helped the A's get past the Twins to the ALCS in Game 3 against Minnesota. Here's the 2-1 to Chavez. Swung on, hit the deep right in the corner. Way back, and the A's have taken a 1-0 lead. Chavez smokes it into right field in the bottom of the second. 1-0 Athletics. The A's would sweep the Twins to advance to the ALCS against Detroit. Chavez played 13 years with the A's before moving on to the Yankees in Arizona to finish a 17-year career. His 230 Oakland home runs are still fourth best in franchise history, trailing only Mark McGuire, Reggie Jackson, and Jose Canseco. Number 10 on the all-time Oakland top 50 list is third baseman Eric Chavez.
As the countdown continues, the next entrant on the all-time top 50 list is defined with one simple yet intimidating trademark, the stare. And it belongs to number nine on the list, pitcher Dave Stewart. Born in Oakland, Dave attended St. Elizabeth's High School and was drafted by the Dodgers in 1975. His career had some twists and turns before he arrived in Oakland. First a Dodger, then a Ranger, and next were the Phillies. But on May 9, 1986, they released him, setting the stage for a career-altering moment 12 days later. I didn't know that coming home to play would be what I needed. You know, as it turned out, it was the best thing um, for my career. Um, you know, it's funny how things happen the way that they do. I mean, little did I know that signing with them in 86, that, you know, later on that season that Tony La Russa would be coming here and Dave Duncan would be coming here and we'd do the things that we did. So it, it turned out to be a good thing. At that point in my career, I, I needed something positive. And, it's, you know, it's just funny how God touches you and there I am. He worked in both the bullpen and as a starter, but as the floundering A's needed a jolt, recently fired White Sox skipper and former A's teenage shortstop Tony La Russa was hired to manage the team. And his first game was July 7th, 1986 at Fenway Park against Roger Clemens and the Red Sox. Stewart and the A's would win 6-4, including the postseason in eight head-to-head -head matchups with Clemens. Stu was 8-0 with a 180 ERA, the definition of an ace. He would post four consecutive 21 seasons from 1987 to 1990, go 8-3 as an A in the postseason, win the MVP award in the 1989 World Series. He went 2-0 in that series, but because of the earthquake, the ace became a humanitarian. Quite frankly, I'm glad that um, I had that experience. It allowed me an opportunity to get more involved in my community and, and helping the people um, that were really, really struck by the earthquake and by the damage. Um, the firefighters that were working, the police officers, the Red Cross, just the you know, it really brought two sides of the bay that were so separate, it really brought us uh, together. While Stu was a player always focused on team, another individual moment came his way on June 29, 1990, in Toronto against the Blue Jays, winning 5 to nothing with a no-hitter. And there are plenty of memories about that night. It was the worst bullpen warm-up that I ever had. I do remember that. I remember Dave Duncan really, really being concerned, which... I guess if I would have worn the concern that he did, probably none of this would happen. I just kind of figured that I'd, I'd just fake it until I made it. Swung on, high drive, center field. Dave Henderson signaling, it's fine, it's fine. It is, and it's a new hitter for Dave Stewart in the stadium this June 29, 1990. The fifth low hitter in the history of the Oakland Athletics. In at number nine on the Oakland all-time top 50 list is pitcher Dave Stewart. He was the hardest throwing pitcher of the great Oakland rotations of the 1970s. His rookie campaign not only featured him on the cover of Sports Illustrated, but Time Magazine as well. Second all-time in Oakland history in wins and strikeouts, and number eight on the Oakland all-time top 50 list, it's pitcher Vida Blue. Vida was the ace's second pick in 1967, and at age 19, 
reached the majors in 1969 for 12 games in Oakland. With only six major league starts the following year, Blues still accomplished greatness with a no-hitter on September 21st against the Minnesota Twins. But his first full rookie season was one for the ages and began at our nation's capital against the Senators. Blue lasted only one and two-thirds innings on that day, but then he caught fire. He collected 10 consecutive wins and captured the imagination of the country. He was ready for the spotlight on July 13, 1971 at Tiger Stadium in Detroit. A high fly to shallow center. Looks like an easy one, two, three inning for Bida Blue. Mercer lost his cap. Look out, Carew goes back. And that's it. The National League is easily retired by Vida Blue in the top of the first. Vida would work three innings and was the winning pitcher in a 6-4 victory. The only American League All-Star win from 1963 to 1982. Blue's 24 wins, 312 innings, and 24 complete games that season not only got him the Cy Young Award, but most valuable player as well as the A's reached the postseason, and he was the first to do so in American League history. While that season was remarkable, it didn't convince owner Charlie Finley to open the pocketbook, and Blue's spring holdout the following year in 1972 may have affected that campaign. But still armed with a 280 season ERA, his role in those playoffs that year was in relief, and his ALCS Game 5 performance helped the A's to the World Series. You know, in 71, the Baltimore Orioles beat us, and they had the 420 game winners, but we felt as though we belonged, and uh, we, we went took that next step by beating Detroit, and the rest is history, as they say. But uh, we knew we were a good team, upcoming team, and of course, Dick Williams was, uh, you know, maybe a missing piece also. He taught us how to play winning baseball. Dick Williams said, you're going to be in the bullpen. I'm thinking, okay, I knew John was pitching that fifth, that game in uh, Detroit. I, there was no way in heck I was going to get in the game. All of a sudden, you know, get fired up. And I'm like, what? And there I go. And uh, my motto was as hard as I could, as long as I could. And that's what I did. And uh, we ended up winning, beating Detroit. And, of course, we went on to play uh, the Cincinnati Reds, which was a great series. Vida's best starting performance in 17 postseason games, all with the Athletics, came in the 1974 ALCS against Baltimore. A Game 3 duel with Jim Palmer, and both went the distance. A Sal Bando fourth inning home run was the difference in a 1-0 win. Blue would win 20 or more three times in his A's career, and his 124 wins and 1,315 strikeouts are second only to Catfish Hunter in Oakland history. Number eight on the Oakland all-time top 50 list is pitcher Vida Blue. He was California cool. His dad was a conductor for Nat King Cole, a San Diego kid who took pitching lessons from a former Cy Young Award winner and won one himself. Brought his guitar, special pillows, and candles on the road. Long flowing hair from under his cap, and he had a curveball from the gods. At number seven on the Oakland Top 50 list is pitcher Barry Zito. Barry was an A's first round pick in 1999 out of USC and was thrust into a major league pennant race the following season. He was seven and four as a rookie, winning five of his last six starts. The A's were on the road, down two games to one in New York facing elimination, with the rookie Zito on the mound, not concerned at all about the circumstances. I think I was kind of just, what do they call it? Uh 
unconsciously competent. You know what I mean? When you're fresh and you're innocent, you don't really know what you're up against. And uh, Rick Peterson was here, and you know, Rick and I really had a special relationship. And he kind of allowed me to keep that game fun instead of worrying about all the pressure. So we went out and scored a lot of runs off Roger Clemens that night. So uh, it was great, man. While the A's lost that series in five, a nucleus was building of young, exceptional starting pitching. First Hudson, then Zito, and finally Mulder all together. You know, that was something we all just kind of fell into. I mean, obviously we didn't plan it, but Huddy was a Southern boy, just a bulldog, breaking records at Auburn for hitting. And then, you know, Mulder was kind of like the golden boy we all called him, right? Could have played any sport, and then I, we all got guys out in a totally different way. In 2002, Zito won the first game of the 20-game win streak. He won a lot that season, four times in the streak, and 23 overall to capture the Cy Young Award over Pedro Martinez. After a four-year stretch of October baseball, the A's stalled in 04 and 05, but returned to the postseason in 06. The first round was against Johan Santana and the 96-win Minnesota Twins. Zito went pitch for pitch with Santana. Zito peering and has the sign working from the stretch. And the delivery on the way. Mauer swings. Fly ball left field toward the line. Peyton right there makes a backhanded catch. As Mauer flies to left, Peyton ran it down, going toward the line. The Twins leave Bartlett at third, and we go to the ninth inning. A's two, Minnesota one. I didn't really feel like I did much. I just tried to focus on making pitches, and everything else happened around me, you know. So uh, we need to come out here focused tomorrow and, uh, you know, jump out into an early lead. The A's won that game 3-2, to two, swept the Twins, and moved on to the ALCS for the first time since 1992. Barry would lead the A's the following year. He stopped playing in 2013, and after a year off, returned to baseball and the A's for one last hurrah. That was incredible. I mean, just for closure. I mean, the whole year for me in AAA with the sounds and then being retired for, a, you know, a week or more and then coming back and pitching here. And, of course, I would have liked to pitch better, but, I mean, it was so magical. And taking the field here and, you know, the whole team wore their socks up, pitching against Huddy and fond, fond memories. And uh, the fact that I got to end in white spikes, you know, was just the coolest, man. 102 wins, six consecutive seasons of double-figure victories, a Cy Young Award, and a proper goodbye, all in the career of number seven on the all-time top 50 list, pitcher Barry Zito. His home runs were as big as the man himself. In fact, in Oakland history, no one did it better. In at number six on the top 50 list is first baseman Mark McGuire. Santana from a stretch with the bases full. McGuire hits one high in the air. Left center field and deep. Here is back. He's looking. Grand slam. McGuire, the ninth of his major league career. And the A's are off to a 4 to nothing start in the first inning against the Rangers. Drafted 10th overall in 1984 out of USC while on the U.S. Olympic team, Mack was a power-hitting first baseman. But the A's moved him to third base in the minors because of Rob Nelson. McGuire reached the majors in 1986 for 18 games at third. The following season, his official rookie campaign, he was moved back to first base, but he was missing something. I gave all my first baseman gloves away back when I signed. And I can still remember being in the Metrodome and say you're playing first base against Frank Viola. Bob Watson gave me his glove and I'm using a Wilson glove, which I'm a Rawlings guy. And it's got Watson, number eight on the side. But then again, you know, I struggled. And myself and Rob made the ball glove in 87, but we both struggled. I don't even think we're hitting 
over 200. And then I remember down, I think it was April 19th or 20th down in Anaheim. That's when I started playing every day and 49 home runs later. So definitely a big learning experience. Everybody knew that I could hit. It was just about trying to be a complete player. Those 49 home runs shattered the rookie record held by Al Rosen since 1950. And he would unanimously win the Rookie of the Year award. Eight times McGuire would hit 30 or more home runs for the A's, cresting at 52 in 1996. His biggest home run as an A came in the 1988 World Series, a walk-off blast against Jay Howell to give the Oakland A's a 2-1 win at Game 3, the only win for the Athletics in that fall classic. High drive up the alley in left center field, and this one is going to be My only hit was a game-winning hit in the World Series, which as a youngster, when you're in that backyard, you'd say that in your head, bottom of the ninth, here, here's the pitch, there it goes, and you walk off, and, and I'm running around the bases in Oakland. It's such a deja vu because I, I went through that playing my Nerf ball, my Wolf ball, my tennis ball as a kid, and I got to live it in a, in a big league uniform, in a big league stadium, in the World Series. McGuire's career was intertwined with Tony La Russa, both in Oakland and in St. Louis, after a 1997 trade to the Cardinals. It was the early foundation with him that set Mark on his path. In 87, I have to thank Tony for that because he ended up putting me in the outfield. Of course, they had me as a third baseman. I looked, worked a little bit at first base, but you know, then it was history. But he believed in what, I, what, what he saw. I, made, I was a 25th guy because of him. The rest is history. Um, I, I have to thank him and for everything. He appeared in nine All-Star games as an A and holds the Oakland franchise records for home runs with 363 and RBIs with 941. And he is sixth on the all-time top 50 list, first baseman Mark McGuire. We have come to the final five on the Oakland A's top 50 list and all have two things in common, Cooperstown and one name monikers. Beginning the final countdown at number five, Reggie, as an outfielder, Reggie Jackson. An A's top pick in 1966 out of Arizona State, Reggie was in the big leagues the following season in Kansas City for 35 games, then came west to Oakland. 29 home runs in his Oakland debut was followed by 37 at the break in 1969. It prompted a watch for possibly breaking Roger Maris's single season mark of 61, but he finished that campaign with 47 long balls. 1971 was the first of five consecutive seasons in the postseason. For Jackson, a defining moment came in Detroit at the Midsummer Classic. There's a long drive. That one is going way up off the roof. That hit the transformer up there. It wasn't just Reggie getting it done. It was a collection of talent. We were a bunch of young, wild renegades, if you will, until they broke us up with free agency. But we'd have won pennants for a long, long time. We really were that good. While the A's fell short that season, they reached the Fall Classic in 1972. Reggie didn't play because in game five of the ALCS against the Tigers, he tore his hamstring on a second-inning steal of home. Epstein goes, the pitch is taken, the throw into second to Taylor, back to freehand, and he fires, he's safe. The ballgame's tied, Jackson is safe, and he is hurt. He watched on crutches as the A's won their first title, which strengthened his resolve 
for 1973. Really, I started out the 73 season in spring training, and my goal was to get into the World Series again. Well, we did, and we won another trophy. Jackson took home the World Series MVP with five extra base hits and a 310 batting average. The following season, the A's made their third consecutive trip to the Fall Classic. With all the majestic home runs that Reggie hit in his Oakland career, with all that turmoil around the team for years, a key play on defense in Game 5 of that World Series was a true defining moment for Jackson. Bucker lines it into right center. The Dodgers had the time run on. Ball gets away and on to second. North played that casually. He's coming on to third to throw. Oh, two perfect throws. Great execution once again by the A's. What a relay throw. And I really thought that said who we were as a team, how we worked with each other and understood where the other guy was going to be all the time. Backing up Billy, Greeny being in the right spot for the cutoff, whirling and not even having a look and throwing it to Sal was who the Oakland A's were. We were a great offensive team, we had great pitching, but I think that really gave a definition of who we were at the time. Jackson, of course, left the A's after 1975 and played for three more teams before returning home in 1987 for the last 15 home runs of his career. Listed in every major category on the Oakland all-time lists during his nine seasons, including 268 home runs and induction into baseball's Hall of Fame in 1993. Number five on the all-time list, outfielder Reggie Jackson. If it seems I'm a little nervous right now, I am. It's simply because I'm not used to starting things, if you know what I mean. Maybe he wasn't so great at the beginning of the game, but he was one of the best to finish one. In fact, Hall of Fame good. And at number four on the Oakland Top 50 countdown is reliever Raleigh Fingers. Fingers joined the A's organization in 1965 as a starting pitcher. He reached the majors full-time in 1969 and he split time between starting and relieving. But he ended his starting career 7 and 17, but found another path to stardom. I was a horrible starter. I couldn't get out of the second inning, and so Dick Williams threw me in the bullpen, and uh, I just kind of fell into the job as a closer. I had the type of arm where I could go out and throw three, four innings, and you know I got a lot of innings in. I was getting 18 to 22 saves, and I was pitching 135 innings, so I was getting a lot of work in, and uh, you know with the pitching staff that we had uh, back then, starters wanted to go nine innings, so I was always coming in trouble because Catfish and Vita Blue and Kenny Holtzman uh, they liked those complete games, so when I did come into a ball game, there was usually some guys on the bases. He also had an iconic look on the mound. I just grew it to be different. You know, Charlie told everybody on the club that if you made the team on opening day and you had a mustache, you got 300 bucks. That's the only reason why we grew the mustaches. And everybody was just growing a regular straight mustache, and I said, ah, oh, what the heck, I want to grow a handlebar mustache, see what it looks like. And uh, then all of a sudden, we started growing long hair. We started winning. Uh, I mean, we'd go on the road, and ballparks would be packed. They all, everybody wanted to come out and see the long-haired crazies from Oakland and we were beating the heck out of everybody and the mustache just you know kind of stuck you know I had I was pitching good and you know ball players are superstitious and I was, you know, as long as I was pitching good and I was getting guys out I'm going to keep the dang thing. Six times fingers would amass more than 100 innings in relief. In the A's first World Series Raleigh picked up two saves and a win but his most unique moment in the series that still stands the test of time came in a game three loss to the Reds 
facing Johnny Bench. I had a 3-2 count on him, and uh, Dick Williams called timeout. And uh, he started pointing at Bench, and he was pointing at first base in the on-deck circle. And the whole time he was doing this, he was talking to Gene Tennis and telling Gene, look, we want you to stand up like we're going to do an intentional walk. And uh, as soon as uh, Raleigh goes into a stretch and picks up his leg, he wants you to jump back down behind home plate, and we're going to pitch to him, try and strike him out on a 3-2 pitch. I couldn't have thrown a better slider. It was just right on the outside corner black, and uh, Johnny was surprised that he took it for call strike three. Just as uh, fingers went into the windup or into his stretch, uh, I heard Joe Hollard be alert, so I got halfway ready, and he just made a great pitch on me. In all, fingers would throw 33 innings over three World Series, win two games, save six, and win the MVP award for the 74 series against the Dodgers. Fingers deals a comebacker. Fingers has it and throws the first. It is a madhouse here at the Oakland Coliseum. Raleigh saved 136 games for the A's, 341 in total with San Diego and Milwaukee. He was inducted into baseball's Hall of Fame in 1992 and is fourth on the Oakland all-time top 50 list, the man with the handlebar mustache, pitcher Raleigh Fingers. The old saying goes, you can take the boy out of the country, but you can't take the country out of the boy. And that personifies our next member of the Oakland all-time top 50 list. The pride of Hertford, North Carolina, and number three on the countdown, James Augustus Catfish Hunter. Mr. Finley said, do you have a nickname? I said, no, sir. He said, well, to play baseball, you got to have one. He says, what do you like to do? I said, hunt and fish. He said, well, when you were six years old, you ran away from home and fishing. About four o'clock that afternoon, your mom and dad had been looking for you all day. They found you. You caught two catfish, was bringing in the third. He says, now repeat it to me. Armed with only 55 professional innings from the Florida Instructional League, Jim Hunter found himself in the majors as a teenager in 1965. He and the nickname did stick. The time spent growing up at home on a farm gave Hunter the tools of tremendous control. I had four older brothers and if I didn't throw strikes, I didn't get to play. So I had to throw strikes. And I always was throwing rocks or corn cobs or something all the time at uh, telephone poles out in the country. Less than a month into their new Oakland home, Catfish stepped into the history books against the Minnesota Twins on May 8th. And since it was a different time in the game, Hunter also went three for four at the plate with three RBIs. Jim Hunter, here he comes again with the free tool delivery. Fastball leading there. Great train, the fly is six below here. I tell you tonight, he is being mobbed. Jim Hunter, Catfish, Hunter, 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 Hunter did not allow one man to get the first base tonight against the Minnesota Twins. That night it seemed like I had uh, great control. I could throw the ball anytime, anywhere where I wanted to. I think it was a 2-2 pitch. I threw a slider to Rich Reese. The last hitter was right down the middle. I'm power went ball. Check out the home and home. It didn't bother me at all because I knew I had great control that night. It was the ninth perfect game in Major League history and the first in the American League outside of the Don Larson World Series Perfecto since 1922. Catfish proved to be a big game pitcher time and time again. When the A's reached their first World Series, Hunter posted wins in game two and in relief in game seven. In 73, he bested Tom Seaver in critical game six and set the tone against the Dodgers in game one of the 74 Fall Classic. Got him, and that'll do it as the Catfish comes in and strikes out Joe Ferguson and Alvin Dark and the Oakland A's. 
squabbling made the headlines yesterday, but clutch pitching, timely hitting, and a better defense made the headline today. In all, Hunter won 131 games in Oakland, still a franchise record. He was 7-2 in the postseason for the A's. Four consecutive seasons, from 71 to 75, he won 20 or more for the A's. And while he became a Yankee during the infancy of free agency, after 224 wins and 1987 induction into Cooperstown, his plaque bears no logo in deference to both teams he starred for. The quiet pitcher went back home to North Carolina after his playing days and became the first athletic player to have his number retired. Sadly, Hunter passed away at age 53, succumbing to Lou Gehrig's disease in 1999. Forever remembered in Oakland history and number three on the Oakland Top 50 list, pitcher Jim Catfish Hunter. We have reached the final two of the Oakland all-time top 50 list. And to the surprise of no one, the next resume is full of magic moments, strong enough for Cooperstown. In the big leagues at 20, a no-hitter at 22, 21 season at 23, nearly out of the game at 31, and rejuvenated the following year with the first of nine seasons at home. From Washington High in Fremont, number two on the top 50 list is pitcher Dennis Eckersley. By the time the A's traded for Eck in April of 1987 for three minor leaguers, Cleveland, Boston, and the Cubs were on his resume, and so was a bout with alcoholism. He rescued himself, and forward-thinking Tony La Russa was there to be part of a crucial change in the arc of his career. You know, the creation of the one-inning closer like Eck, that was Dave's idea. He says, you know, Eck's the best we have, that's right. He says, the more often X available, the more he closes it. What followed were 45 saves, and an A's return to the postseason, where fate took an unfortunate turn for Eckersley in the World Series. What a great moment in baseball. It really was. And I happen to be a part of it. Not a great part, but I can live with it. The A's lost game one in a five-game defeat to the Dodgers in 1988, but they returned to the Fall Classic the following year against the Giants. Even through the pain of the Loma Prieta earthquake and all that Eckersley endured throughout his career, the final moment was his. Swung on bounce, off McGuire's glove. Phillips has it. Throws to Eckersley in time. Another great play by Tony Phillips. And the A's have won the World Series in a sweep. We made it through the end of the season, made it to the World Series. We swung the back great. You know, we had the 10-day delay and, and the earthquake. It was awful, you know. And then for us, and to finish it off, we were just glad to be that on the field to get a chance to do it. And then I got a chance to be on the mound to get the ball. You know, the kid from Fremont, Candlestick Park, that's where I used to go as a kid. And to get the ball in your hand at first base, Tony Phillips, of all people, flipping it to me. And I was so excited. The greatest moment of my life. Uh, Short-lived, though, you know, because we didn't celebrate it. You know, no, nobody was in the mood to, to celebrate that thing. But it didn't matter. You know, that's the world championship I'll, I'll never forget, and it was meant to be Candlestick Park. Eckersley's nine seasons in Oakland included a Cy Young and MVP season of 1992 and 320 saves. He followed La Russa to St. Louis for two seasons before concluding his 24-year career in Boston in 1998. He was elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame in 2004 
and his number 43 was retired in Oakland in 2005. 197 wins, 390 saves, and a chance for the kid from Fremont to come home. The A's mean more to me than anything. The day coming back, finding out you got traded. Because you have no control over the teams you're going to go play with. And I played with those great teams in Oakland, and uh, I'll never forget the times I was in Oakland. My family was there. My parents got to see me. I mean, it was I was blessed, to say the least. He's number two on the all-time Oakland Top 50 list, pitcher Dennis Eckersley. After thousands of votes cast for over 100 players in the 50-year history of the Oakland Athletics, we have reached the top of the mountain. The top pick for the best player in the history of the Oakland Athletics has accomplished so much in his career, we can't possibly fit it in one vignette. So without further ado, let's begin part one of a two-part look at the greatest Oakland A, outfielder Ricky Henderson. Maybe the birth date was the indication that something special was coming. Christmas Day, 1958 in Chicago, Illinois. Then two years later, he was in Oakland and soon the world would learn of this tremendous athlete. He was an All-American running back, was on the track team and played baseball while attending Oakland Tech. When it came to the decision which sport he would pick, well, as the saying goes, mom knows best. I thought the way to go was me being on the football field. That's what's my passion, love at the beginning. She chose baseball, and uh, you know, in my first year, you know, I was probably a little more disappointed. Wanted to quit, go back and play football, but she told me to stick it in, and I guess she made the right choice. So you know, and, and I enjoyed the game of baseball. Maybe Ricky had his mind on the gridiron, but someone else in his life figured a way to get him to focus on baseball, and it included some bribery. I had a counselor named Mrs. Wilkinson. She was looking for more baseball players to come out there and play baseball so she offered me a quarter to go out there and you know get a hit or steal a base or score a run so you know it was just like going you know me having a little job so I accepted that. As it turned out the A's liked what they saw too and made him a fourth round pick in 1976 which meant a lot to Ricky. It was a special uh, draft to really be drafted by Oakland being at home. They were looking for a catcher at the beginning and then I was going to be the next draft pick but Oakland took me before that so you know I was back at home you know it was it was joy that I was going to be back at home. Uh, all the people that saw me come up as a 10 year old trying to play baseball or just being an athlete in, the, in, in uh, the city they pushed me and kept me going. Several things distinguish Henderson from the pack. The leadoff home runs, the stolen bases, and the walks, but ironically, as Ricky embarked on his professional career, he didn't want to be Ricky, but somebody else. Yeah, I want to be Reggie Jackson. Now, I want to hit a lot of home runs. And then I tried to stand like Reggie, swing like Reggie, and, uh, you know, I, I, I was cracking out like Reggie. <laughs> it really wasn't getting nowhere. And then I, 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 I met Derek Bryan in, in spring training, and then he took me to a tee, and he made me. Uh, develop a strike zone and then I got in a little crouch and I was more comfortable with so you know I took it to that level and then based on this it's the work habit that you go out and you want to try to get better and better with what you're trying to accomplish and I think each and every day I hit out for tea and just stayed in a little crouch I, I had them football legs and stuff like that so I, my legs was a lot stronger for me to stay in the crowd. Henderson reached the majors with Oakland as a 20 year old in 1979 and really made its presence known the following season with the first of three years with 100 runs, walks, and steals. Next time, the records begin to fall 
and Cooperstown makes the call. Number one on the Oakland A's top 50 list is outfielder Ricky Henderson. greatest player in the history of the Oakland Athletics. A local kid who still makes the city his home. Now the final installment of our season-long look at the top 50 players in the five decades of A's baseball in the East Bay with Ricky Henderson. By the time Ricky was 23, he already led the American League in steals twice. The all-time record for stolen bases in a single season had stood since 1974 with St. Louis Cardinal Lou Brock's 118. That all changed in 1982, and Ricky had help from manager Billy Martin. And he said, I'm gonna be the one to help you pick some pitchers because you know I know the pitchers, and he was giving me a pick sign when he thought it was a breaking ball, and he was guessing for me, and all I was doing was running. Henderson's 130 in 82 is a record that still stands today, and 10 years later, he and Brock would meet again. Ricky left Oakland for the first time at a trade to the Yankees prior to the 1985 season. Oakland had returned to the World Series in 88 without Ricky, but the following year, the A's needed a spark and Henderson needed a lifeline. Oakland bailed me out, really, to tell me too. They bailed me out from me being tan and tearing myself up or feeling so bad or hurt. You know, they bailed me out and I got the opportunity to, to come here and play and then I started hitting the ball like I was capable of hitting the ball. And then when we ended up winning it, it was something that I dreamed of, as we always say, is if you can you know, pinpoint up a, a picture, it's something that you dream, and, and the things that would, was, should happen, you want it to happen, and it seemed like my dream came true. Henderson was the MVP of the ALCS against Toronto with eight steals and eight runs, and as the A's swept the Giants in the 89 World Series, Henderson reminded everyone in game four, he does this better than anyone, starting a game with a bang. And he gets a high fly ball to left field, and that one is carrying, and back goes Mitchell, and it's a launching pad again tonight. And I have to tell you, I've seen a lot of games in this park, and that fooled everybody. But on a winless night, what would be a normal, routine fly ball goes out, just like last night, one to nothing. To cement his legacy as the true man of steel, Ricky was closing in on Brock's all-time stolen base record of 938. Then on May 1st, 1991, Ricky had the opportunity to break the mark in his city. I was at home. I was under the, the city, the people that I grew up with that followed me so much, my mom, my parents, and my buddies and all was here. So it was, it was just very exciting for us to do it at home. Ricky goes, a pitch taken, he's gonna have it. He does, Ricky Henderson. Steals third base, jerks the bag from its moorings, and holds it aloft, representing number 939. 25 seasons, 1,406 stolen bases, 81 leadoff home runs, and 2,295 runs scored. All baseball records, which is why he stood at the podium at Cooperstown in 2009 with the understanding that he, too, is among baseball's immortals. It is an honor to be inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame and have my name next to player like Jackie Robinson, Dave Ruth, Willie Mays, Hank Gehrig, Luke Garrett, 
Roberto Clemente, and the list goes on and on. He will forever be remembered as the greatest Oakland athletic, the greatest of all time, outfielder Ricky Henderson. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.